Hello and welcome to Northeast Christian Church's online services. We are so excited to have you here today. Please be sure to subscribe to NECC on all social media platforms. And if you wanna watch this message again or some of our other messages, you can always look us up on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Thank you and enjoy the rest of the service. Yes. <laughs> <clears throat> I just watched it the other night. Memorial Day is different from Veterans Day. Normally in Veterans Day, we have those who served uh, to stand and we, we honor them and we do that. But Memorial Day is set apart for those that gave the sacrifice of their life. Uh, fathers, sons, mothers, daughters. And uh, so you'll notice outside, we, we've got a newer flag. It's hanging out there and it's at half staff in honor of that. I tell you, it's a very confusing time in our nation, uh, but I would, my hope would be is, is that we would always have deep within our heart a respect and a love for those that have served in the military because they too might be the ones that we remember in Memorial Day. It's an ultimate sacrifice that people have given. And uh, although I've never been a participant in war as a soldier, I've been in and have seen the marks of it. And uh, I want you to know this, if you're here and you're a veteran and uh, you are on a journey with um, PTSD, there's a local horse therapy group that actually will work with you. And I want you to know that if that describes you or anyone you know, you let me know and uh, they will do that free of charge and do that for you. And so I just also wanna say, even though we recognize those that gave their life in Memorial Day, I just wanna say thank you to every single one of you that have served in service that are here. Sam, I know Sean, Alex, who is pretending to watch from home and all that. We're just grateful. And so with that, we're just, we're just thankful. Uh, let's pray and ask God to be with us. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just ask that you would speak to us through your word. You've said everything you ever need to say, and it's found in your word. And that which disagrees with it, Lord God, is, is not your word. And so I just ask that you would speak to our heart about the kingdom of God and what that really is, the kingdom of heaven, and that you are coming back again to reclaim this world as your own. We haven't put our hope in something in eternity that is one in a billion. Lord, you are a sure thing. We bet our life on it and we give our life to it. So speak today to our spirit and to our life. In your name we pray, amen. So we are continuing this week on Luke and we're in the kingdom of heaven, chapter 17. But before I say this, let me just say something. Uh, recently, as we all know, the tragedy that took place in Texas with uh, these precious little children losing their life is also met with the many people in upstate New York that were shopping at Topps Market who were selected because of their ethnicity, because they were black, lost their life because of the color of their skin. Children who lost their life just simply because somebody in their rage wants to take it out on someone else. And we all know that murder is wrong and we all know that racism is wrong and there's no place for it in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, but there is no easy answer to this. And it makes us look around at the world that we're in to be able to say, is anyone gonna be able to stop the chaos? Is anybody gonna be able to change the world? Is, is there ever going to be a law that would just make a difference? And the answer to that question, my friends, I, I hate to say is no. 
The answer to that problem is Jesus. And Jesus looks for a throne on individual hearts. And one day he is returning to this world and he is going to take back because God looks at the universe and he says, it's mine. But until then, until then, we, we need to trust the Lord. I, I sent out an email just recently this week and um, I, not that, uh, I think more and more we're reading email less and less kind of like mailed mail, but to, I want you to know a couple of things about our church. We have a camera system in here all throughout the building with the exception of the restrooms, of course. And we have eyes inside and out of our building. Secondly, we have security every single week. Third, we do not allow anyone to work with our children unless they have passed a background check, a legal Corey background check, and they've been a part of our community for, for a half a year to a year. On top of that, we worked with the police department and the fire department, and a few years ago, we created a emergency response program and plan that has what to do in the active, in the case of an active shooter situation, what do we do in the act of a fire, and of course, last week, you know, we had the fire department here with our children because they're our heroes. The, and and they're, they're the ones that are going to be risking their lives uh, should anything ever happen here. And so we want you to know we go over that on a regular basis with our children, with all of our workers, and we revisit it again and again. I just want to say this to parents. If ever in the event that there is an active shooter in the situation in here, and everybody just say with me, never going to happen. Never going to happen. Um, a couple of things I want you to know. First of all, we have a great group of security people of some who you know and some who you don't know that are here and are willing to do whatever it takes to keep everyone safe, not just our children. Secondly, we do not keep our kids on this campus. If anything ever happens that's volatile like that, we move them off site to the, to the, to the um, golf course club next door so that they are away from the building. The exception of that would be a fire. And in that case, they go outside away from the building on the corner over here. So I want you to know your instinct will be to run for your child. I would, I would like to be able to say with you without conviction, please don't, you know, but uh, I can't, I can't get between a parent and their child and wanting to help and do good. But this, this church is filled with people that are heroes that would stand up and do what is necessary. But, uh, at the same time, we look at the tragedy of what's going on, and I say, my goodness, how did the world get to this place? Um, while we have these examples, Sandy Hook is right down the road from where I grew up. That was personal for me. September 11th outside of New York City is where I grew up. That was personal for me. Years ago, it seems like it all began with Columbine High School. And I met a precious, precious friend of mine. I call, his name is Josh Weidman. And Josh Weidman was at Columbine in that city in Littleton, Colorado, when those shootings took place. There was a youth pastor that was going in on a weekly basis. Josh is unique. His father is the second in command of Focus on the Family, which is an incredible ministry. But Josh was a teenager at that time, 16. And after the shootings took place, the youth pastor that was going in there on a weekly basis, many of his kids, many of the people that, that uh, are memorialized, like Rachel and others were a part of that group. And he comes up to Josh's house, drops, rings the doorbell. And when Josh opens the door, he, he's trying to talk to him. He can't, he just drops to his knees and he starts crying uncontrollably. And he says, I can't do it, I can't do it. And this 16 year old named Josh reached out his hand. And he said, you don't have to do it. 
we're gonna do it together. And he grabbed his hand and they faced the grief as a community. And from this day forward, whenever there's stuff that's going on, like what took place in Colorado, what, like what took place in upstate New York, they're always calling my friend Josh to come in to say, how does faith and hope and recovery take place after such a horrible and difficult situation? And Josh would say to you simply this, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus is the answer to the world. He didn't say take vengeance on your enemy. He didn't say love only your family and only your friends. Jesus is the only one in history who ever said, love your enemies, love your enemies. I'd like to pray for those communities that are grieving in upstate New York, clearly racism, clearly murder. Um, and to aim at children, to take the lives of children, it's, it's an evil world that we live in. It's an evil world. What could God do if people offered themselves to Jesus the way that people are offering themselves to evil? We could change the world. I want to pray for the grief of those families right now. If you'd join me, if you'd stand, I'd like to direct our heart. The Bible says, grieve with those who grieve. And so, Lord, right now, in the name of Jesus, first of all, I pray for my friend Josh, and I know that... Um, He's speaking to this on a national level continually. Anoint him to help people who haven't seen it yet that you are the answer. But we also pray for the loss and the pain. Nobody can look at anyone like that and say, I understand. I understand. Lord, I don't understand why someone would shoot someone because they were black or why someone would shoot them because they're a child or why someone would shoot someone because they're white. I don't understand why they'd shoot a teenager. None of it makes sense, but that's not the way that you made this world. And right now, I pray for those that are trying to say, how do I move forward? There are families that are curled up in beds upstate in New York and down in Texas saying, I don't know how to move forward. There are still families in Connecticut Lord God, who, who are still grieving the loss of children from 10 years ago. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we pray that you would send your love, that you would send your hope, and that you would send your presence. Most of all, send a man, send a woman that could guide people to the hope that Jesus has for them. Bear their burdens, carry their grief, and Lord God, show them that there is hope in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Um, I'm sorry for taking so long with that. It just seems proper, right? Uh, we had a group that met after service just recently, and we were talking about just different topics that we're going to be talking on with this once a month vultures and doves series. And uh, we said, well, how do we address that? And it's like, address it, address it, like um, speak to it. And, and so that's what we're doing. And so those topics we'll get into in more detail. But you're also probably wondering what in the world's going on with my outfit today, right? Um, it ain't a suit, thank goodness. Uh, but uh, I, I, sometimes I want to make sure that I'm not too unprofessional. So I got business on the top and I've got camping gear on the bottom. But I did wear dress shoes, right? So, so I got my Clarks. I don't know what's going on. Would you just please forget, just, just pray for me and say, help him, Lord. He's a fashion crisis. And uh, it, yeah, it certainly is. But um, that's not what I want to talk to you today. You got a handout when you came in. If not, I'd encourage you to grab it when you go out. I'm not going to go through everything that's on there just because of time. And we're going to get you out of here by noon, promise. 
but I want to talk with you about the kingdom of heaven. This is a time right now where I can turn on pretty much any podcast, a lot of uh, different speakers, and even a whole bunch of churches that are micro-focused on the book of Revelation. It's the end times, right? There is no doubt. Can I just tell you something? If, if Jesus, if the end times, if the disciples thought that the end was near back then, it's got to be close. And so this passage that I'm going to read to you really has to do with Jesus talking a little bit about the end times, but he's also going to talk about the most important thing for our life, which is the kingdom of heaven and Jesus. And so if you'd turn with me to Luke 17, or if you've got that paper, you just flip to the back and it's right on the back there. This is in the ESV. It really, uh, King James versions is a good, is a good version. NIV is a good version. As long as it's, uh, the 1984 one, they, they messed around with, with stuff in there. I mean, there, there are more versions than you know what to do with. None of them really are good except for the original language and original manuscripts. But, but this is, this is a decent version of this verse. So I'm going to read it to you and, Check out what God's got to say to us today about the kingdom, the kingdom. Being asked by the Pharisees, who's asking Jesus the question? Pharisees. When the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. And now he says to his disciples, so he starts talking to the Pharisees. They're asking him about this concept called the kingdom of of heaven, the kingdom of God. They're used interchangeably. And then all of a sudden he turns to his disciples. He steps back and he says, yo, huddle up here. I want to say something to you. He's not saying it to the crowd. He's saying it to his disciples. And he said to his disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the son of man. So now he's talking about who in the world is this son of man? Most of the time we read this in Christianity and we say Messiah. And that's, that's correct, the suffering Messiah. And w- you will not see it. And they will say to you, look here or look, look there or look here. Or do not go out or follow them. For as lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the son of man be in his day. But he first must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Listen to what Jesus is saying. He's talking about this person now, the son of man. And he just got done off the topic of the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about the son of man. They're saying that Jesus is saying when he comes back, there's going to be, nobody's going to have to say, there he is, here he is. But before this happens, he's going to have to suffer. And of course, we know Jesus is fitting the bill right here. He's going to suffer and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was, now he goes into two examples of Noah and Lot. In other words, the flood and Sodom and Gomorrah. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They will be eating and drinking and marrying and given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot. They were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planning and building. And on that day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. Likewise, 
Let one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve or save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. There will be two women grinding grain together. One will be taken, the other left. And they, will, and they said to him, where, Lord? This is interesting is, is that when he's talking to the Pharisees, the Pharisees ask him, when is the kingdom of heaven going to take place? Now the disciples are like tracking with Jesus and they're like, where is all this going to happen? Iran? Syria? Russia? Where? where? So we can see this. And Jesus is like, I... And he said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. That's kind of like a phrase that they would use in Judaism. You know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're watching online or you're here and you're from the Boston area and you know the coach of the Patriots, Bob Belichick, and I say, it is what it is. You get that, right? It means, in other words, life is the way it happens and just deal with it. It is what it is. This phrase, where, where the corpse is, the vultures would gather, which we're talking about like our, our series on vultures and doves. A dove is a, a bird of peace. It's a bird of hope. It's a, it's a beautiful, elegant bird. It's, it, it, but a vulture feasts on corpse. And so Jesus is like basically saying, you're not going to have to look for where all of these terrible things of the Son of Man and the judgment that's coming. It's going to be evident to you because you're going to see the vultures swirling over the corpses. It's going to stand out very clear to you. What is Jesus talking about? And what would Jesus want me to talk about concerning this passage? Well, what's interesting is that the two biggest misunderstood ideas within our part of the world, the West, and Christianity are two things that haven't translated well from Hebrew, from Greek, into English, and also into our theology that were very Jewish in their nature. And one is the kingdom of heaven, the other is the son of man. Now in Christianity, we've translated that because we throw all of this together under Jesus, and rightly so. You read, Jesus is the son of man that will suffer. He is the son of man that will come back and judge the living and the dead. He will bring judgment upon the face of the earth. And, and it's all right there from, from verse 22 to verse 37. And he breaks it down for his disciples. And he's saying, Jesus is coming back. In fact, Acts chapter one, he, he's standing on the Mount of Olives. He, he talks to his disciples and he says, all authority under heaven and earth has been given to me and I give it to you. Go now, go out into the world and make a difference. And then, the, and all of a sudden, Jesus ascends into heaven. He ascends into heaven, and there are two angels sitting there, and the disciples are, are looking up, literally looking up, saying, what, where, when? Look at, at Jesus, why are you going away? Come back. And the angels are saying, what, why, why are you looking up? The same Jesus will come back in like manner. In other words, Jesus is coming back to this world. 
He came into this world as a child. He was born and he went through this life that you and I lived so that he could look you in the eyes and say, I know what it is like to be alone. I know what it is like to be isolated. I know what it is like to be abandoned. I know what it is like to suffer unjustly at the hands of others. I know what it's like to be betrayed. I know what it's like to be loved. I know what it's like to hope. I know what it's like to care. I know what it's like to, to struggle against temptation. I understand you because I became one of you. And when I look at the the whole idea of the Son of Man to a Jewish person, and I'm not going to point your attention to it, just you can read that in there. The Son of Man in in Judaism, they had this idea that there was going to be somebody that was a human being that would suffer at the hands of other people be mistreated and murdered, but that God, because he understood that they were righteous, because he understood that they were innocent, because he understood that they were, they were mistreated, that who better than that person to judge the world? And God would put a crown on him. In fact, not to play the teacher here, but just to show you something, there's only one place in the entire world, in, in Holland or in Belgium, where there's any imagery of this that the Jewish idea of it and the Christian idea mixed together as clear as it did. You see somebody sitting on the throne on the top there. That is the son of man. That's Jesus. Look at his feet. There's a crown. This was made back in the, in the dark ages. And they understood the, 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 the brightness of who Jesus was, that he, was, he may have suffered on a cross, but he's coming back in power. And, and every crown, every deed, every good gift, every reward you and I receive, we are going to take that off and be like, this isn't about me. This is about you. Worthy is the lamb. God, I thank you for what you did. I wouldn't be here if it was for you. Every single good deed that you and I would ever do, anytime we honor God, anytime we were heroic, anytime we were sacrificial, that God is weaving this crown in heaven of these deeds that we're doing, and every single one of us will take it off our head and lay it at the feet of Jesus, and we'll say, we're not worthy, but worthy is the lamb that was slain. It was given glory and honor and power. All book of Revelation speaks about this. And, and look at this. It, they called this, called, it's called, the painting's called uh, the worship of the mystic lamb because in the lower section of it, you see a lamb on the altar. Jesus is there and you see the, the images of the middle age religion there where the blood of the lamb is pouring into a chalice. Now, we don't believe when we take communion that that turns into little, literal blood. I don't want to drink literal blood. Gross. But, but it's a symbol that G- I believe that Jesus died for my sins. It should have been my blood. And, and so when I drink this cup, I remember he suffered my suffering for my sin. I should have taken the bleeding. I should have taken the beating. And I drink to that, Lord. And the bread represents his body where Isaiah says he was marred beyond human recognition. He took my beating. He took my pounding. He took my suffering in my place. And he exchanged and took the hit for me. And I should have taken it, but thank Jesus for the cross because we would all be separate from God if it wasn't for what he did. That's why it says in Revelation, worthy is the lamb. And here is where it starts to get into this idea because in the top left and right, when you say son of man in Hebrew, it's actually, you're literally saying son of Adam, Adam being the father of all mankind. But if you zoom into the top left and right, 
Who literally were the sons of Adam, Cain and Abel? And it shows Cain killing his brother for standing with God. He was jealous of his brother. He murdered him. And friends, whether it's Columbine, whether it's Texas, whether it's Tops in Buffalo, New York, whether it's racism, whether it's insanity, whether it's, it's, it's hate, it, it is evil and it all stems back to this moment. And God knew the only way that he could make the world right again was as if he took the wrong upon himself. And I don't know where your life's at. I don't know how close or far you feel from Jesus, but I want you to know something today. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you've become, that he still is in the business of be, if we're willing to offer to him our sin, our standing and say, God, this is not right in my life. Please forgive me. He will take that upon himself. That's what water baptism is about. It's an image of that we died with, with our sinfulness. We died, we were buried, and we come in just like a, a baby is born in water and blood. We come out in of the water and newness of life. The Jewish people used to call this the womb of the world. And they've said when you were baptized into their in the, in the faith back before Jesus was there, they, they said that you came out and you were born again. Listen to the language. Everybody that was in the church that were watching this event were called the family of God. And I'll tell you what, we should take an interest in more in each other's lives, in each other's homes, in each other's children, in each other's journey, in each other's struggles, because we're family. We're the family of God. Now, even going through all of what I just did here, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says something very interesting. And it's, it's down a bit. It's, it's right where he says in verse 22, he says, you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. In fact, and he's talking about when the Son of Man comes in judgment, right? The flood on the earth, judgment. The, the, the showering or the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, judgment. God is a God of love, but he is also a God of justice. He never gives up either. That's why he sent his son to pay the price for our sins. But, but Sodom and Gomorrah, judgment. The flood, judgment. The son of man coming to, he is going to judge the earth in righteousness. And he sits on that throne and he has the right. And the Bible says it like this, worthy is the lamb who was slain. He's worthy to open the scrolls of judgment. He's willing to release the bowls of judgment. He's the one that has that right. And everybody's so consumed with the end times, just consumed with them. There are literally churches that that's all that they're talking about. The book of Revelation is amazing, but it's one book in the Bible. And Jesus turns to his disciples and he says this, and I, I want to give some advice to every single one of us out there. Stop looking for the Son of Man because when he comes, there will be no denying that it's him. As lightning goes across the sky from one end to the other, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. How many of you saw that lightning storm through our region last night? My dog was terrified. I was brave. I was brave. 
But lightning, there's no denying the snap, the crack, the bam, the boom. And so many of us are like the disciples and we're running around where, and we're asking the question that they asked Jesus, where is this going to take place? I want to figure it out. I want to know all about it. I want to tell everybody about it. Jesus says, listen, I'll just give you the big picture. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah, bad judgment? It's going to be like that. Remember the flood of the earth? Going to be like that. You want to know how to see the signs? Real simple. There will be no trying to figure it out because when he comes back, he is coming back in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. The dead in Christ will rise. Every single human being will stand before the throne of God in judgment. You wonder what happens to a world when they shoot innocent children or what happens to somebody who's able to take shot at somebody because of the color of their skin and seem to get away with it. Nobody gets away with anything. God will judge the earth in righteousness. Everyone will stand before God on that day to give an account of what they've done. And while you want to applaud that, that terrifies me. Now, that's where the charge is now, right? What's going to happen? End times prophecy, this, that, the other thing, and just... If ever there was a, an antichrist that walked the face of the earth, Adolf Hitler fit the bill. And they thought that the social security number is the mark of the beast. And what's interesting about that mark in the book of Revelation, it says that, that there'll be an evil leader and will take his mark and his, the number will be 666 and, and all this stuff. It says that you take his mark. There's been all kinds of marks, QR codes and all that, you know, scan codes and all that stuff. What, what's important is, is when that day comes, it's going to be his mark. There's so much focus on end times, I want to just grab you all and say, I love you, but stop worrying about that and worry about this point that Jesus made. It's the kingdom of heaven. That's where he started. He spoke the most to his disciples about the son of man, but he was just telling them, it's going to be bad. It's going to be like this. It's going to be like that. But stop looking for it. Don't look for it. When it happens, it'll happen. And my hope is, is that we won't be here for that anyway. Why are you spending your whole life hyper-focused on a, an event and events that we're not even supposed to be here for if you the, theologically believe that? But we are here for the kingdom of heaven. Listen to Jesus' words again. Being asked by the Pharisees when the, king, when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them saying, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there for behold, the kingdom of God is with you in your midst. The kingdom is with you. It's here. It's now. Now, this phrase doesn't translate well into English because it literally is something that we don't have in our English language. You might have this in maybe, like if you're from Ghana, maybe you have these in your language. I don't know if Spanish has this. Uh, those, aren't, those aren't my languages, Hebrew, Greek. Um, and English are, are mine, but like, you can, there's no way to describe what's called a verbal noun. 
You see, the kingdom of heaven is not, when I say kingdom of heaven, you think about castles and knights and moats and, and you know, maidens and all that kind of stuff. And it, it all has a physical, and it has a king, right? At which the same as the kingdom of heaven has, except the difference is, is that the kingdom of heaven is an active participation. It's an active force. In other words, when Jesus said in the Lord's prayer, pray every day, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What that literally is saying is, Lord, today I give my life, I give my thoughts, I give my actions, my deed, and I want to be somebody that makes the kingdom happen. I want my actions and thoughts and deeds to be something that creates space for God to move. I want to be somebody that lets the kingdom come because the king sits on the throne of my heart. I can't be responsible for him and her and them, but I can totally bring heaven to earth by letting God, by his spirit, fill my life in such a way that people look at me and say, I don't know what it is about you, but something's different about you. I don't understand what it is, but when you walk in the room, something changes. I don't understand what it is, but I feel comfortable sharing with you my heart, and I'm not comfortable talking to people. I'll tell you what that is. That's the kingdom of heaven and work in your life, and it's the presence of the Holy Spirit that God wants to fill your life with. I don't know why I feel like a screaming preacher today, but I'm just going to do it. Ah! I'm more the conversationalist normally here, right? But look at the phrase, the kingdom of heaven. You see, in, in in the time of Jesus, Jesus could talk with the Pharisees because really, spiritually, he was cousins with them. When he's going out to eat with them, he's hanging out. He's not, he's not going to Herod's table for dinner. He's going to tax collectors, sinners. And then when he's talking religion, he's hanging out with the Pharisees. Most of their debates are these heated moments where they're talking about stuff theologically. And then other points, there are times where they're in agreement. And this area of the kingdom of heaven was a place where they were in agreement. Listen to this. This is, this is teachings. This is anything that's on your paper in green as I bring this down to a close, anything that's on that paper in green, that's to show you that it's not in red because it's not in the Bible. But I want you to hear what, the same way I might read Shakespeare if I'm talking about the 1600s, what, what the people around Jesus were thinking about the kingdom of heaven. It says, if Israel kept the words of the law and uh, given to them, the people or kingdom would rule over them. And why does the, why does the law say take upon you the yoke of my kingdom and emulate one another in the fear of God and the practice of kindness to one another. So in other words, they're talking about living out the commandments of God like a yoke. Now that might, some of you are like, is that the part of an egg? Like, what do you mean a yoke? Whenever you would plow a field, you would have two animals together and you would have a thing that would go over the neck of one animal, one ox, and then you would put another ox next to it and the two of them would move forward and back here would be the plow and you'd, you'd, you'd move along there. And they're saying, hey, if you want to live the life of a follower of God, it's work. It's plowing. You see, this thing of being a Christian isn't just simply that I come in, I say, Jesus, forgive my sins, I get baptized, bloop, and that's it. It begins, for those of you that were baptized today, that's the beginning of the journey. Now it's taking in the teachings of Jesus and putting them into practice in your life. And if any of you have been at this for a long time, it is difficult sometimes to choose somebody over myself, to sacrifice, to hold my tongue, 
Yes, I hear that yes in the back. I'm with you on that. And now listen to the teaching of Jesus. It sounds just like that. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are labored and heavy laden, for I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Quite simply, God rules and reigns wherever his people obey his commands. Therefore, the rule of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and simple, it's made up of those people who are interested in obeying God's commands. Now, did I just say that they're saved by obeying God's commands? No, I didn't. In fact, one of the biggest struggles that you will ever have in, a, in your Christian walk will be trying to reconcile your desire to serve Jesus 100% every minute of your life and falling short of that. And we always say this in, in our church, right? God is not looking for perfection. He's looking for what? Direction. It's not that I live a perfect life, but that I'm walking in the right direction. And if I fall on my face, I'm falling towards the light. I'm falling towards him. But I take that upon me and I pray daily, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. Well, well what's the kingdom if it's a this activity, this, it's put, taking God's word, what little or great amount that you know, and then living it out in your life. It's saying, blessed are the mercifuls. It means that I need to show mercy in that situation? Yes. Bless, you know, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. I think I got them there, nine right? Those aren't easy. We need the power of God's Holy Spirit to do that. And here's the beautiful thing when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven. It actually finds its beginning all the way back in the book of Exodus chapter 25, verse 8. Let me read it to you here from the ESV. It says, and let them make me a sanctuary that I might dwell in their midst. Do you hear the similar language? of what Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is with you in your midst. Literally in Exodus, there are a couple of times where the Jews were trying to help speak to people in the Aramaic world to understand it. And so they played with the language a little bit because it doesn't translate good. And they said, let me make before, uh, let me, make before me a sanctuary and I will let my presence rest among them. Literally in one translation, it says that I may make my glory, my Shekinah glory dwell among them. And here's the point of everything today is that you don't have to wait until the end times, until Jesus comes back and sets everything wrong, right? The kingdom of heaven is with you now. You don't have to wait to become good enough and strong enough and perfect enough to ask God for the battery power to be the person you want to be. What God wants to do is to let your heart be his home and for his spirit, his glory, just the same way that it came down in the tabernacle, the same way that it came down in the temple, the same way that he did that, that you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and that God wants to so fill your life that it is filled with the presence of God that you realize that you will never be strong enough. You'll never be good enough. You'll never be perfect enough to get it all right. But where you lack the pieces, God makes up the difference. That's what it is to live 
in the kingdom of heaven. It's not a then thing. And so much has been focused on when this happens and when that happens and when this happens. And, and it's like we have all of these experts and everybody's speaking into it. And yeah, I could sit here all day and talk with you from original language and early church writings and Dead Sea Scrolls and bore you to kingdom come about that stuff. I know what I'm talking about, but I'm, I'm telling you here this morning, Jesus said to his disciples, to you and I, said when it happens, when the Son of Man comes back, when the final judgment happens, there won't be any mistaking that it's going down. It's going to happen in a moment. Jesus is coming back. But until then, he wants his presence in your life. He wants to fill you with power. He wants to fill you with hope. He wants to fill you with holiness. He wants to fill you with his love. And I know what it's like. Listen, tell you what, I know what it's like to have a bunch of kids running around trying to parent them. And then in that moment where they just say, Daddy, I love you. I'm like, you've been driving me crazy all day. It's hard to love little kids sometimes, isn't it? It is. That one's for you moms out there. It's hard to love your kid when they keep doing the opposite of what you tell them. When you know the answer and they have to discover that for themselves, it's hard. When you're married and that spouse isn't there in the right way in the right time where you need space and they close it. When you need quiet, they yell. When you, when you need them to yell, they, they let it slide. And I mean, it, it is just not easy. And God says, it's not about you. The kingdom of heaven is with you. It's in your midst. That whole in your midst is the same language of God in his tabernacle. And you know what that means for you and me? That means that we are citizens of heaven. Listen to Jesus say this. I'm going to ask the, the, uh, whoever is set for music here. We're going to close with this. Listen to this, Matthew 18, 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the what? The midst of them. Which means that if you pick up the phone or you FaceTime or you Zoom or you Google chat or you walk up to somebody after church because you're facing something and you don't know what to do, that when you get together with a couple of people and they turn their attention off of the problem and they turn it up to heaven, that heaven comes down and God is right there in the midst of you. It doesn't matter whether you feel it. It doesn't matter whether you see it. God said, call on me and I'll show you great and mighty things you wouldn't believe unless you asked me. He said, behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. He said this, he said, this, the kingdom of heaven in Luke eleven twenty, it's come upon you. He said in the parable of the dough, he says it's like a woman who put yeast in dough. If you put yeast in dough and leave it in the fridge, it starts off with a fist-sized piece of dough. You come back, that thing's going to be bloated. Why? Because yeast, just like the kingdom, if it gets inside of you, it overtakes every area of your life. My question for this is you. Are you allowing the kingdom in space and place in your life in such a way that that's taking place in your life? Because if not, you need more of the kingdom and more of the king. He said it like this. You might say, well, Pastor Paul, I get it. I need more of Jesus. And I know that I'm not growing like I ought to. But my goodness, Jesus, uh, help me. Jesus says, no problem. See a mustard seed? It's so tiny, you could bear, it looks like an eyelash, a mustard seed. It's that tiny. And yet you plant that thing and it is the largest of all plants that it literally is like a mini tree. And he, Jesus says, if you plant that, that birds of the air can rest 
on it. That's a mustard seed size of faith. If you say, God, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. I may just have a little bit of it, but oh God, if you would water it and cause it to grow and I would begin to serve it in faith instead of turning to problem solving, I turn to pray solving and kingdom requests that God would take that tiny seed and all of a sudden you would realize greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. That God isn't just something that's going to come back in the future, he's here, he's now, he's in your living room, he's in your study, he's in your hour of need. But here's the catch. There's a price to be paid. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who went out and was digging. He didn't have a fancy job. He was, he was a dirt digger, a shoveler. But when he was shoveling, he found a treasure and he said, oh my gosh, this is a fortune. And the Bible says that he buried it. He went back. He took everything that he had, sold it, and bought the field. And because he bought the field, he owned the treasure. He owned the rights to the treasure. Right after that, he says, immediately another parable. There once was a merchant who dealt in fine jewels. This is a wealthy man, not a dirt digger. He found a pearl. And he said, that pearl is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. I have to have this. And it says that the merchant went back, sold his villas, sold his jewels. It says he sold everything he had so that he could possess that pearl. Whether you're here today and you feel that you have a lot, or you're here today and you feel that you have a little, the kingdom of heaven is going to cost you everything you have at a moment's notice, but it's worth it. The kingdom of heaven is not free lunch. The kingdom of heaven has a price tag to it. And if we are willing to pay that price tag, we will see a faith that grows from a lash of an eye size to something that can support others. If we sell all we have, sell out for the kingdom, we'll find that God will begin to work that in our life and we'll see growth in our life. And my friends, when that happens, you become citizens of heaven. Listen to this, Philippians. But our citizenship is in heaven, the kingdom of heaven. Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. In other words, a resurrected body. I was sitting in the living room of my father two months ago. And he was angry, pounding the table. And he says, I just can't accept that my body's failing me. And I said, Dad, you got one of two choices. You could either put your hope that somehow you're going to get a 20-year-old body again, which isn't going to happen, or you could reallocate your hope, as Tim Keller said once, and say, I may not get a new body here in this life, but I'm going to get an eternal body in this life and the life to come. And all sickness and cancer and COPD, all of that's going to go away. My dad just dropped his head and just began crying and just kind of lifted his hand and just surrendered to the truth that it's not about this life. Some of us were running through this world like it's about this life only. It, it's about bringing that life then into the now. He said this in Colossians 
joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. He's taken us from the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his, the son he loves in whom is redemption and forgiveness of sin. You cannot buy forgiveness. God gives it away freely. And you can bump and wander around and be terrified of the dark, but God calls his kingdom a kingdom of light, which means that we have to be willing to let it shine into the dark spots of our heart. Surrender to him. And more importantly, maybe you're somebody who feels you have a lot. Maybe you're somebody who feels you have a little, but here's the great truth to it. We're going to inherit with Jesus Christ a kingdom so great that he's treating gold as paving stones and concrete. That's your heavenly father. I could tell you the spirit of the Lord is there's freedom. There's power for freedom that doesn't come from the, the power of your effort to break free from whatever it is that has a hold of you. But there is power in his presence to break you free from anything if you ask him. God said, my presence will go get with you and give you rest. Some of you have had a restless life and you're like, I just want peace. If you've ever been, in, if you've ever embarrassed yourself and then all of a sudden somebody of great character is there at that moment and they come up to you and they put their hand on you and they put you at ease. That's who Jesus is. Be at peace, rest. You don't have to be anything but yourself. I could sit here all day and read all of these verses, but I'm telling you the kingdom of heaven is real. And it's not all about raining fire and sulfur from heaven and bowls and armies and this and that. My, my, I tell you what, I don't want to live in a world like that. But I want to live in the world that his kingdom would come. And until it comes like that, and I'm not going to have to look for it, here, now, I need to put my effort on being a person of the kingdom, to be that verb, that action, that person that creates space for God to move and make me who he's calling me to be. And that might mean something for different people in here right now. You know what that might mean? That might mean that you need to pick up the phone and call somebody and say, I forgive you. That might mean that you need to go up to somebody and say, I am sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me. That might mean you having to be tough with love and say, I love you, but I am not going to enable you anymore. I will enable you if you will come to the hope that of Jesus who can who can help you, but I am not giving you any more finances. I am not pulling you out uh, uh, anymore. You, you need Jesus. You need, to, and to have that tough love talk, I don't know what it means to be the kingdom. Maybe it's being loving to that person that's been nasty to you at work. Maybe it's, uh, I don't know what it is, but I want God's kingdom in my life now. I want to experience his presence. And I believe that he wants that for your life. And if you'd stand with me across this room, I like to pray a prayer. I, I love when God moves here, like we, we have in service when we sing songs and Jesus shows up. But you know what I love more? I love those moments when I'm alone and nobody's with me and I can actually be honest because let's just be real. I'm not going to throw my honesty out here from the microphone out to you. I do do a couple of my friends and my wife knows, my, my wife from time to time, I might do that kind of thing, but, but I'm not going to take the microphone and say, hey, let me tell you everything wrong in my life ain't going to happen. Everything's fine. You know, but when you're sitting alone and you're looking at yourself and you're like, how did I get to this place? How did I feel so stupid? How could I have 
It's in that moment that Jesus puts his hand on you and says, hey, I can make it right. Will you let my kingdom come? Will you let my will be done? Will you do what needs to be done? Will you live my commandments? Will you put them into practice? That changes the world. That changes the world. And so, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, all across this room, while I love moments where you show up at the altar, how I love it when I'm all alone and it's just you and me, I don't have to pretend. And I can be honest to God and say, Lord, I can't believe, I don't know how I got to this place, but please help me get out. When I've got people who love the kingdom and love the king that can come around and two or three or more gathered in your name, you say, there you are in the midst. We need a lot more in the midst moments in our life. We need to invite people into our life because we find freedom, Lord, together. We come to know you vertically, talking to you, but we find freedom with the help of others. And if two or three are gathered in your name, there you are in the midst. Lord, be in the midst of our life, be in our heart. The kingdom of heaven has come. It's here. We just need to realize it and create space for it. So Lord, here's our heart. We make it your home. We ask you to forgive us for the things that need to change, but we thank you for the grace to not only forgive, but also the power of your Holy Spirit to help us be the people you're calling us to be. I want you just to pray this prayer with me as we close here. Dear Jesus, make my heart your home. Forgive me of my sin. Fill my life with your spirit. Fill my life with your kingdom. Help me fill my life with your word. My prayer now is that your kingdom would come, your will would be done on earth, in my heart, the way it's done in heaven. Now, Father, you've heard our prayer and you heard that many people are praying that and maybe they don't feel worthy, maybe they don't feel strong, but Lord, you've heard that. Now I pray that you would show yourselves in the midst of their life, in the midst of their problems, in the midst of their situation. And Lord, give us strength. Lord, not only to be the right people and to do the right things, but also the strength and humility to come back to you when we're not. I thank you that forgiveness is an open door to you at all times. And so we thank you for that grace that's ours this week. And we just pray that as we go, we go in the blessing of Jesus Christ. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you again for being with us today. If you wanna watch this or listen to it again, you can always go to YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And for all news and updates about what's happening here at the church, you can go to ne-cc.org or lowellag.org. Thank you and God bless.